Welcome to Perfectly Imperfect, a podcast that explores mental health, especially for folks of color. I'm your host, Johnzel Anderson. I'm a licensed therapist and owner of Panoramic Counseling in Richmond, Virginia. I hope you enjoyed today's discussion. Hello, everyone. The topic that I'm going to be talking about today is on body dysmorphic disorder. I'm specifically going to focus on the impacts of it on men. And before I get started, it's worth mentioning that I've had notes and drafts of doing this episode for probably about six months now. And I keep I don't know, either pushing it to the bottom of the list or avoiding it. It is probably going to be one of the more challenging topics for me to discuss just because it is very personal. But with that being said, let's get into what has inspired this. So we're talking about body dysmorphia, which is a distortion in body image, specifically among men. The reason I thought it would be a great topic to cover is because it's not that hard to find information on how media and body image have impacted women and girls related to their body image. But we don't see as much conversation or resources about body image distortions and stuff like that among men, especially among men of color. And so Part of the inspiration for this as well comes from the fact that I'm a therapist and I talk with lots of people and I've been noticing some trends. I've been a therapist over seven years now and I'm noticing that body image, uh, body dysmorphia, and even like eating disorders are on the rise among men. And those are <clears throat> those are things that are typically seen more frequently in women. So as I'm seeing these sorts of things in my caseload, it's something that's of interest to me and also why it's important to talk about. And I alluded to this a minute ago, but I mentioned how this topic is just uh, a, I guess, a sensitive one for me uh, because of my own experiences. I'll try to keep it brief uh, as I give kind of a synopsis of why that is the case. So, For as long as I can remember, my identity, self-esteem, mental health have been highly tied into my body image. My entire childhood, I was chubby. You know, I wouldn't have seen that as an issue if not for being bullied. Worse than that, being bullied by the people in my own household for my weight and how I appeared in comparison to other people my age. I guess the interesting thing is I was being picked on about how much I weighed. However, the foods that I was being fed as a child were very unhealthy. Pretty much every dish uh, included margarine and high fat, low vegetable content and stuff like that. Of course, I didn't connect the dots on those factors until I was in adulthood and out of that toxic environment. But yeah, lots of bullying uh, throughout my childhood. And then of course, as I got into school and things like that, it continued there. So, you know, those formative years taught me that something was wrong with my body and that weight and shape and appearance mattered. Probably the most common frequent thing that I've dealt with as an adult has been unlearning those internal messages that were given to me, but also you start to internalize and you start to say those 
hurtful things to yourself. That's the lingering kind of um, influence of all of that bullying. So, so in the year 2011, I went on a weight loss journey. I lost 90 to 100 pounds in about 11 months. So it was like a New Year's resolution, and I was, I guess, in the range which was considered obese. And I worked very hard with lots of cardio and different things like that to make that weight loss journey happen and kept the weight off for several years, which brings me to the present. You know, I live with an anxiety disorder, so I've tried various different like medication combinations and stuff like that to manage that. I learned earlier this year that one of my medications that I was prescribed is highly correlated with weight gain. So despite being physically active throughout the three or so years that I had been on this medication, it didn't occur to me that that could have been one of the causes. So, And I gained between 35 to 45 pounds in a matter of three years. And because I have a, I have a uh, <laughs> conflicted relationship with weighing myself, the, the fluctuations were not as obvious to me. But obviously, as you start gaining weight, your clothes fit differently and, and stuff like that. So currently, to bring all of that back to the present, I am on another weight loss journey, which I call losing my Prozac, or shoot, I just said the name of the medication. I'm calling it losing my uh, Prozac weight. And since I, well, surprisingly enough, it took me another six months to actually switch to a different psychiatric provider to get off of the medication and to get onto something to, of course, manage my anxiety, but that the medication would also be weight neutral. So I've been on my new medication for a few months now. So far, um, I've lost 15 pounds of what I'm calling the Prozac weight. And so my goal is to be to my goal weight by the beginning of May of 2023. And so I'm making good progress with that, working very hard to, you know, it's not like I wasn't working out before. I was, I had, I've had these habits and routines and things like that in place since I lost all that weight in 2011. But I'm kind of on a smaller weight loss journey this time to get back into the range that I feel most confident at. Preparing for this episode, has been a little nerve-wracking. And I what I did this morning was I finalized the PowerPoint that I'm going to kind of read off of as I'm talking to kind of give me my talking points and things like that. To get to the point of hitting record on this um, has been uh, a lot of breathing, a lot of, um, it's a lot of pushing myself through the related emotions. So like I said, it's probably going to be one of the more challenging episodes that I've ever done. But with that being said, I uh, reached out, I texted my therapist and I asked if there were any openings today. So shortly after I record this episode, I will be going to talk to my therapist to kind of process just how I'm feeling about this. So I think Part of me talking about this topic is going to be a personal challenge, but also kind of cathartic and therapeutic in a way. So hopefully, if you're still following along with me, this is making sense. So 
Hopping into this a little bit further, we got to talk about some terms. So we talked about body dysmorphia. I'm going to get into the DSM-5-TR criteria in just a moment. But some important terms that I've already covered but also are going to be involved in this conversation, we've got body image and then we have appearance. So according to Harvard professor Dr. Roberto Olivardia, who is a clinical psychologist, he defines appearance and body image as follows. So appearance is objective. For example, John Zell has brown eyes. He is six foot five. He has hair in the form of dreadlocks. Those dreadlocks are ruby red color. You could also say he is brown. He is biracial. Those things are objective. They just are. These are physical attributes. They are what they are, right? So that's appearance. Appearance is objective. Body image is subject to how you feel about your body, how you perceive yourself, and how you think other people perceive or view your appearance. So the body image is what you think of or what other people think of those objective things. The reason I share those two definitions is because you can have what society might consider ideal physical traits, but you can still have a crappy body image. So I'm six foot five. That uh, being tall like I am is, for a lot of people, a physical attribute that is something that they want or wish that they had the height. But I can have a favored physical attribute but still have a poor or low body image, a distorted perception of myself despite having a certain appearance. Support for this episode comes from Go Heal, bitch which is a black and woman-owned clothing brand dedicated to normalizing therapy with its candor and sense of humor. I love my GHB t-shirt and custom hoodie, so I'm excited to offer listeners of this show an exclusive discount. Just go to GoHealBitch.com and use promo code JohnZell, spelled J-O-H, N like Nancy, Z like Zebra, E-L-L-E, for 5% off your order. Using my code gets you a discount and supports this podcast, which is a win-win. Details about this offer are also available in this episode's show notes. And now back to the show. But to get into actual body dysmorphia, we're going to get more into the clinical. So based on the DSM-5 uh, text revision, body dysmorphic disorder is included under the category of the obsessive compulsive disorders. It does not mean like if you have body dysmorphic disorder, it doesn't necessarily mean that you have obsessive compulsive disorder, but it is a similar condition. So I'm going to read off some of the criteria verbatim so that you can kind of get an understanding of what this looks like clinically. Being preoccupied with one or more perceived defects or flaws in one's physical appearance that are not observable or blatantly obvious to others. You basically think you have a defect in appearance. Appearance is, as we just talked about the term, something that is objective. But dysmorphia means you are preoccupied or stressing or obsessed over something and it is 
out of proportion or distorted from what other people see or perceive. The second criteria here is that at some point in the course of the disorder, the individual uh, performs repetitive behaviors or mental acts to compare their appearance to others because of their concerns about their appearance. So some of these repetitive behaviors could be mirror checking, grooming a lot, reaching out to other people to be reassured about their appearance. Um, And that's just to name a few. Using my own example, I know after I lost the uh, 90 to 100 pounds back in 2011, um, for several years afterwards, and I'll get more into that in a minute, But mirror checking was a big one. So the unhealthy, like repetitive behavior that developed was anytime I would eat something or like drink water or anything, I would look at my profile in like the bathroom mirror and kind of judge the changes, Uh, which seems ridiculous. But, you know, imagine drinking a bottle of water and then looking at yourself in the mirror and saying, oh, I'm fat because your stomach is going to expand when you drink a bottle of water, right? But it was a vicious cycle of being hyper aware and um, critical of my appearance. So that's that's one example. Another criteria is that this preoccupation with these appearances and this distorted thinking causes significant distress. So that can be physical distress, emotional distress, social distress, etc. So it gets to the point where it impacts your quality of life and just day-to-day functioning. And then finally, the criteria of this disorder is that it's not better explained by something else. You basically have to rule out that it's not something else causing this way of thinking and stuff like that and causing this distress. So there is a specifier for body dysmorphic disorder. It's called muscle dysphoria. The DSM-5 describes that is the, that the individual is preoccupied with the idea that his or her body build is too small or insufficiently muscular. It's kind of getting more specific on what the dysmorphia is about. And when it comes to men, muscle shape, size, physique, all of that stuff is very common, uh, which is why it was important to mention that specifier. So hopefully you're still following along with me. Um, Like I said, when something is uh, very personal to me, I, in my mind, I'm saying the words, but obviously I won't know until I'm like editing this episode later if it's coming across clearly, but I'm going to keep going. So What is the problem with body dysmorphia, especially among men? The first thing that comes to my mind and my own experiences with body dysmorphia is the presence of negative self-talk. So while I mentioned in my story that I was bullied by family and peers, oftentimes with body dysmorphia, there is a lot of internal dialogue going on, a lot of self-critique, a lot of putting yourself down. And I think that was probably and still is the most challenging and uh, toxic component of uh, body dysmorphia. But going back to the question of, okay, well, why is this a problem? There are a lot of behaviors that can be an offshoot of body dysmorphia. So to name a few, bullying 
is a behavior that kind of comes from this phenomenon, especially among boys and how that occurs, you know, in adolescence and even childhood, adulthood, etc., not meeting a uh, beauty standard or possibly being insecure yourself. So you start policing other people's, you know, bodies and things like that. It's kind of bullying oftentimes comes from a uh, superiority inferiority complex. When people are having body image, self-esteem issues, bullying uh, is often involved somehow. Um, another behavior that can be problematic could be the use of like cosmetic surgery and other procedures. Not saying that cosmetic surgery in and of itself is bad, but sometimes uh, due to body dysmorphia, uh, people will undergo you know plastic surgery, cosmetic procedures to correct what they perceive is a, a flaw. There's a ton of research and examples out there showing how, those with body dysmorphia are often will repeatedly undergo uh, these surgeries. And we've seen many a celebrity instance where that can backfire on somebody. And it ends up making a situation much worse because it becomes a uh, compulsive uh, behavior. Other problematic behaviors could be using steroids or undergoing like unhealthy diet and exercise regimens. So this is why body dysmorphia among men is a problem. So let's dig a little bit deeper. What is the beauty standard for men? On a superficial, simplistic level, most people are familiar with the inverted triangle. To be more specific, that for a man would be having big shoulders and arms, a chiseled chest, chiseled very specifically because the idea of having a flabby chest or, quote, man boobs are is frowned upon. But with these big arms, shoulders, and chiseled chest, you're supposed to have a slim waist. Toned legs, uh, the preference would be that you're tall or at least taller than the person that you're dating. Also, to top it all off, you, you should have large hands and large feet because apparently this means that you have a large penis which is a whole nother conversation for another day. But this is the beauty standard. You're supposed to have all these things to be considered desirable or um, aesthetically pleasing to the eye. With that being said, I recall a conversation about the inverted triangle one time when I was in college. Two women that were talking about the inverted triangle, and I was kind of just hearing, you know, overhearing the conversation and stuff like that. And I was asking questions. I was in the midst of my weight loss journey at this point. However, when the inverted triangle was explained to me, um, I remember one of the people like laughing and saying, well, you're not the, the inverted triangle, basically. They said, you're more shaped like an H. I didn't have like the the uh, large shoulders and chiseled chest, large arms with a slim waist. I'm, I'm built differently than the beauty ideal. But I remember the person saying that you're built like an H being very, um, first of all, confusing when first hearing it. But I remember it was very hurtful and definitely exacerbated these challenging like body image issues that I was already having at that time. So worth mentioning, the inverted triangle is kind of what 
society considers the beauty standard for men. So let's get into some of the statistics and cultural influences of why the beauty standard is the way that it is, but also how it influences men to have self-esteem, body image issues that, of course, in an extreme form can result in body dysmorphic disorder or muscle dysmorphia. So women, historically, have been uh, objectified for centuries, looked at as an object of the, the male gaze, right? This was not quite a phenomenon for men until more recently. Research shows that like in the early 80s was really the rise of advertisements with men being shirtless. And it was also a time in history where anabolic uh, steroid use became more mainstream. In the 80s, you you get the like uh, the Stallones, the uh, Schwarzenegger, like those sort of body types being portrayed in the media. And so, like I said, the beauty standard for men, it, it becomes big, muscular, tall, aesthetically pleasing. As a podcast listener myself, I'm not a fan of ads, so I'll keep this brief. I use Alitu.com to edit and host my podcast and have been a happy customer since 2020. Alitu is extremely user-friendly and saves me a ton of time in editing. The software also does all that technical sound stuff, so I don't have to. If you're thinking about starting a podcast or already have one, check out Alitu with the link in this episode's show notes for a free trial and a discount off your first paid month. Using my link helps to support this podcast, so thanks in advance. And now back to the show. One example, because conditioning and teaching of children starts very young. So we give kids dolls and action figures. Obviously, we're focusing specifically on men here, but think of the impacts that Barbie had on young girls. So when it comes to men, the equivalent would be G.I. Joe. In 1974, G.I. Joe, his proportions were a 31-inch waist, a 41-inch chest, 12-inch biceps, and he stood at 5'10". Muscular, strong-looking figure, That those were his proportions. So in 2002, G.I. Joe had a smaller waist, so think this inverted triangle. He had a smaller waist, so it was down 3 inches to 28 inches waist. His chest was 11 inches larger. And his biceps almost doubled in size from the 70s G.I. Joe, but he was still 5'10". So imagine these much larger arm, shoulder, chest proportions with a slimmer waist. So G.I. Joe started to reflect the beauty standards of the times that this toy was being produced. So it's also worth mentioning that with these proportions of like the small waist, gigantic arms, huge chest, uh, it would be uh, anatomically impossible for a, a real human with these same proportions to actually touch their own shoulder because it is grossly um, out of proportion with real humanity. In addition to things like toys and magazines and advertisements and stuff like that, of course, there's the fitness magazines where the models are often using unhealthy methods to appear strong and fit. The The emphasis is on appearance. It's not on functionality and quality of life. Some more influences are in 
current times, boys and young men are not seeing as many of like the fitness magazines and uh, TV advertisements. More so these things are being shown on social media and in pornography. One quote that comes to mind here is that what you consume is what you compare. And taking it out of the context of body dysmorphia, I mean, think about what you spend your time consuming, whether it be, you know, Instagram or TikTok, you start comparing. And one of my favorite quotes of all times is comparison is the thief of joy. These sorts of influences, not just now, but historically show themselves at a much younger age. So we talked about how you know, we give boys the the G.I. Joe or these action figures with these crazy proportions. You start to see how it it filters down into the behaviors and how they treat each other. Boys, you know, in elementary, middle, high school, they start policing each other's bodies, um, especially during puberty. Just think of all of the like small, skinny uh, kids or the short chubby kids who were picked last in gym for a, a team. The messages are already being sent that you're inadequate or you're not good enough. To expand that further, you know, I just talked about social media and influencers and stuff like that, but the fitness and supplement industries make billions of dollars annually because they can literally profit off of people's insecurities of not meeting that, say, Um, inverted triangle beauty standard. So before I go, it's important to talk about some solutions. One solution would be to focus on function over appearance. So I talked about how the proportions of G.I. Joe would not be very functional if you if you had that exact proportions and body type as a real human. You wouldn't be able to do all of the activities of daily life. So focusing on how your body functions over how large or how shapely or whatever it may be. And I a disclaimer here is that I'm not saying that um, exercise and uh, resistance training and becoming muscular and things like that is inherently bad. It just needs to all be put in perspective with how we're managing expectations and how we're treating each other because as sure as we're human, we're going to be diverse. And so anyway, function over appearance. I can't think of a really good example of a, uh, like a famous guy who like talks about the importance of having a healthy functional body over meeting a specific beauty standard uh, as far as appearance is concerned. However, when it comes to that function over appearance message, the person that comes to mind for me is Lizzo. I watched her, um, she had a reality show on, I think it was on Prime Video, um, where she was basically, all of her dancers that she has, they're, they're plus size. And she it was a competition show where basically they had to work on you know, the fashion, but they also had to learn choreography. They had to build stamina, all of these incredibly athletic feats that a a person who is a regular dancer on like a world tour would need to have in order to have that job, right? Um, And so a great example of function over beauty standard, all of that's in air quotes, is Lizzo herself. She is a plus size woman who gets a whole lot of shit on social media just for simply existing in the body that she exists in. And she works 
tirelessly and very hard at debunking those expectations because while people will be quick to call her fat or to, you know, do the whole, oh, I'm concerned about your health conversation and stuff like that to justify their hatred. There are very few people in the world who can perform night after night doing the type of choreography, uh, costume changes, and just production that it takes to be a uh, musician and performer. Stamina, insane. So the woman is incredibly athletic and very physically fit as far as functionality is concerned, despite the fact that her appearance does not fit the mold of societal beauty standards of what people expect a woman to look like. So that was just one bullet point on solutions. Let's go to the next few. Challenging self-talk. The biggest part, like I said earlier, about body dysmorphia and self-image concerns is how we speak to ourselves. It's one thing to deal with bullying and what other people are saying about us. It's a whole nother thing when we're saying those things to ourselves internally. There's no uh, checks and balances on how we talk to ourselves. If you ask any of my clients, the thing I say the most is be kind to yourself. I say it not only because it's helpful, but also I'm literally saying that shit to myself every day. And some days are easier than others, but challenging your self-talk and how you're treating yourself internally by trying as best as you can to be kind to yourself is very important. Another solution, um, at least one that I've uh, picked up on more recently, could be journaling. If I have a day where I'm, like, say, feeling insecure or having some negative self-talk and distorted views of myself, I will get those thoughts out of my head and write them into my journal. Another solution could be going to therapy. Like I said earlier in this episode, I knew that this episode recording it was going to be difficult for me. So I literally reached out to my therapist and made sure that I was able to have a session today. And luckily I was able to be fit in. So I will go to that here shortly. But yeah, talking to a therapist, a a person that's not directly involved with your day-to-day life that can help you to place things back into perspective. And the final bullet point here would be practicing gratitude. Gratitude is probably the simplest and quickest thing that you can do to kind of maintain one sanity among like body image, self-esteem issues. And so an example of gratitude could be, I'm happy that I have two working arms. I can pick up and play with my daughter. I can ride my bike. I can drive a car. I have lanky arms, uh, but they're healthy and I'm able to do things with them. So gratitude would be being thankful and noticing strengths in what we currently have. So with all of that being said, I know a lot of information has been shared here. I hope that whoever finds this uh, can get something out of it. I know that this conversation has been happening a lot in my therapy practice. And like I said, I don't see a lot of men talking about this stuff, and especially black men. Uh, that look like me. So I hope that it is beneficial to whoever it might find. But until next time, thank you so much for listening. Thank you for listening. Before you go, consider supporting this podcast in some of the following ways. 
You can buy me a coffee with the link in this episode's show notes. You can leave me a five-star review wherever you're listening to this episode. You can follow this show in your favorite app to be notified of new episodes. And finally, you can subscribe by email with the link in this episode's show notes. Thank you in advance for your support, and I'll see you next time.